the Human Resource Committee to order. If we could have a roll call, please. Sure. Um, Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee DeVries is not here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. And um, uh, the agenda is available to everyone. Are there any suggestions or changes? Uh, uh, we don't have on here uh, public comment, and we probably Trauma need to, to ER. modify level the public two, comment at the beginning. Four minutes. Trauma team to the ER. Level two ETA four minutes. Um, thank you, Trustee Lawrence. The actual actually public comment is on the back, the front page at the end. But um, if the board, if the committee agrees, I would move the public comment up to the beginning to right now. Although, I think those folks. We have four public speakers, so I invite them to share information before we begin with the agenda. Okay. Uh, so, if anybody wants any coffee or anything. <laughs> Already? Let Mike know that was going to happen. Oh, is that one not working? Do you want it on? Yeah. Oh, all right. And then she can just go. Well, it's actually. They're not, I mean, I've only put one in so far. I probably could wait for it and taste it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I sort of know how much I like. And I never have coffee in the afternoon except for four things. Michelle? That Mensa might be here to help you get your email on your phone. That person couldn't send an email. Excuse me? It's not me. It's, it's hers. So now um, I have your speaker request, so we, the committee would like to hear you. And um, in the future, what I'll do as the chair is put the speakers first so you can be sure that you can come in at 5 and then not have to wait until the end of the meeting. So the first speaker is um, Jeff Blankenship. Hi, thank you. Uh, my name is Jeff. I've been a radiologic technologist at Highland for uh, almost three years. 
I just want to talk about some problems with short staffing in my department. Um, we've been working with staff some days, uh, half our core staff, so five techs instead of ten. So it causes a lot of problems with delay in patient care. So emergency room patients, ICU patients may not be able to get a CT scan or a stat x-ray. Um, it's going to lead to significant delays. Also, staff are working without breaks, which means it's a lot easier for someone to make a mistake that could be dangerous to a patient. We're talking about radiation. Um, my department's also been relying on travelers to fill positions. Um, and that's problematic in a few ways. Uh, the travelers are only here for two or three months at a time. So that means we're always training someone. We're pulling staff to train and orient people. Um, when we're already short staffed, that's hard to do. Um, it also leads to problem with travelers being outsiders. They're not necessarily invested in the job the same way a full-time staff member would be. Um, and also as outsiders, they're not invested in the community the same way that staff who have chosen to work here to care for members of the community uh, and believe in the mission of AHS as outsiders. They not really have the same level of investment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker is John Pearson. Hello, good evening, board members. Thanks for hearing us today. I'm John Pearson. I'm a nurse in the ER here at Highland. Um, and uh, I'm also on the RN bargaining team for SEIU 10 to 1. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you about uh, our staffing matrix. So we have an unusual situation in the current RN MOU where there are some general unit positions in the staffing matrix as guaranteed staffing, such as uh, CNAs, nurses aides, uh, clerks. Um, and uh, we've also brought up at the bargaining table the issue that we think it would be a good idea to have emergency department technicians in that matrix as well. Um, we proposed an enhanced staffing matrix that reflects um, the need to provide breaks for nurses. The current MOU, if you just staffed by the staffing matrix, you wouldn't be able to provide the breaks that are needed if you just want to comply with the law. So we proposed an improved one that included enhanced staffing of nurses to be in compliance with the law and also some of those general unit positions. Uh, management's counterproposal to us was to take out all of those general unit positions and then eliminate some of the nursing ones as well. So if we do our math and look at the management's uh, counterproposal, for example, in my department in the ER, there's, there are not enough numbers to provide at this level one trauma center a trauma nurse. There's also not a provision to provide one-to-one -one or one-to-two staffing for critical care patients, which are in the department basically 24-7. Um, so we're seeing this kind of bare-bones plan, um, and we're wondering if we're being taken seriously because staffing is, is a, an extremely critical issue. 
right? If staffing is low, then patients suffer. I mean, we watch patients suffer in front of our eyes. Um, and you're, we're, we're being forced into this position uh, when we have short staffing, which we're all very familiar <coughs> with, where you have to make decisions about um, whether you're going to take care of yourself, basic needs like going to the bathroom and feeding yourself, or whether you're going to take care of a patient, right? And nobody wants to be forced into that position where you can't take care of somebody because you have to go fulfill some of your own basic needs. Um, so we're asking that uh, we're asking that you help us um, take into consideration the needs of our patients to have the staffing not only of RNs but to the folks that make it possible for us to do our jobs. Those CNAs, techs, clerks that are already in our, our matrix. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, our next speaker is Karen Lee. Hi, my name is Karen Lee. I've worked at our room for 19 years in the emergency room. Um, I've actually grown up here. My mom was a nurse for 37 years here. My dad was a gardener for 37 years here. So I basically, this is my family, and I've lived in the Bay Area for 56 years now. Um, the reason I'm here is for patient safety and also worker safety. Um, my sister had a stroke about four months ago. I had to bring her here. She went to Fairmont um, for recovery. While she was there, she was offered drugs in her recovery. The nurses there um, could not help her because they are afraid of the patient population that we have, and they're scared that they're going to be followed home if they speak up um, about patient care. I'm speaking up because I do work here. I'm an advocate for patients here all the time. Also, I'm a worker that has been hurt three times because of the equipment that is not um, fixed or we get sub, um, secondhand equipment, chairs, what have you. We've asked in the emergency room for desks to be fixed, ergonomic evaluations four or five times. We're told that they don't have the money isn't available and they can't afford it. When people moved to the new hospital, we got their old equipment, which were broken chairs. I sat down in the chair last April and fell. Um, I have carpal tunnel, and so I'm off. I just had surgery. Um, I just want people to realize that it's not being told, the truth is not being told about what's ha really happening. We have no security out at Fairmont. Um, my family member went and said something when he heard this guy offering my sister marijuana at Fairmont and the nurses were like, we can't do anything. So later on I heard in the safety care committee that the nurses are actually scared to say something because like I said before, they're scared that somebody's going to follow them home if they speak up. Um, I went to, we're going to the Board of Supervisors because I'm on the bargaining team, and they're being told a whole different story than what's really happening. It really upsets me because, like I say, I'm vested in this hospital. I've grown up in this community. I care about this community. We get nurses. We get travelers. We get registry that haven't grown up in this community, and they don't know. They talk and treat people differently, so I just want to know if we can fix this problem within our system 
because our, a lot of our patients don't have a voice and they are scared to speak up also and our workers are feeling the same thing. Thank you. Thank you very much and thank you for, for all of your service and your family service. That's tremendous. And um, the next speaker is Teresa Ivory. Hello, my name is Teresa Ivory. I have worked at Highland Hospital for 13 years in the pharmacy department. The general bargaining unit has done a great deal of research regarding workers around the Bay Area who have better pay and working arrangements than AHS workers. Um, currently, AHS cannot operate without pharmacists or pharmacy technicians. Pharmacy is the core of AHS. Wages are not compatible to the surrounding hospitals. There's no incentive on staying at AHS. Uh, currently, um, there's a high turnover rate for pharmacists, clinical pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. It seems that um, people in the pharmacy, the pharmacy department or in these roles are using um, AHS as a stepping stone. People are staying here for one, two years, getting the experience, learning about patient care, and they're moving on to other surrounding hospitals. Um, there's a high turnover rate uh, for for basically everyone in the pharmacy department. They're often short staffed. Um, let's see. Also, the training for new staff is not really training because there's not a lot of staff to train them. So they often go under trained and then they are caring for our patients here at AHS. Um, also, we just wanted to say that we care deeply for our patients and we take pride in our service that we provide to them. Um, we are proud workers of AHS, but we just wonder if AHS is proud of us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Diva Wolf. Hi, thanks for hearing our comments today. Um, I've worked here nine years, four years as an RN in the ICU, and now five in the labor and delivery department. And we have been short-staffed since the day I walked in. Um, it's a rare day where things go so smoothly that all nurses get all breaks. Um, we have new agreements out. We got a new side letter, and it literally came with a break sheet, but no, no person to fill we are told, well, you'll just pull from the core staff that you already have. But that was the problem to begin with, is that the core staff wasn't um, up to the numbers that we needed to both take care of the patients and take care of ourselves, rather like John was saying. So um, often we'll find situations where the, your neighbor next to you, who already has a patient, is the one who's caring for your patient when you go on a break. So watching your patient, meaning watching the monitor. That doesn't mean they can necessarily go in the room and give a med. Do charting, care for the patient. Same thing with the charge nurses, being stretched very thin, taking care of triage patients, taking care of charge nurse duties, and then also trying to give you a break. Um, so that's one big problem. Uh, with the short staffing, we also notice that people are being floated to areas that they're not adequately trained in. In, for our unit in the maternal and child health, we see this most in postpartum. 
So in postpartum, you're taking care of a mom and a baby. And what happens is when somebody comes down from another floor and they're not properly tra trained, they t usually take care of just the mother. Somebody else who's on the floor takes care of the baby. The whole system is designed to care for the mother and the baby together because things like breastfeeding, example, if the breastfeeding isn't going well, the baby won't be having enough peas or poos. How do you coordinate care from these two nurses, one caring for a baby, one caring for a mother? And it's a specialized unit. People need training, and people are just being floated from whatever area in the hospital has maybe an extra nurse, um, not adequate. I also want to address the new grad programs, like John was saying. We're basically being a training ground for the rest of uh, our community hospitals. New grad programs are very expensive, and we saw the last one we had, uh, excuse me, at least half of our new grads left after one year when they were qualified for another job. So it's all about retention and recruiting. And we have to be competitive, and we have to provide decent working conditions, including breaks and including staffing for all patients and and all workers. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you to all the speakers. That's the end of the, the speakers, unless there's anyone else submitted. So, our agenda today um, begins with our dashboard review with Tony. Thank you, Trustee Jackson. So uh, my intent tonight is to focus ideally on this single slide. So the additional slides are backed up and more detailed information. Uh, we've had two uh, fairly robust conversations. The first was at the recreation of the HR committee and the second was at the board retreat. And the goal for this is to really identify all these areas that you're comfortable with tracking on a regular basis. Uh, do you feel they help you guide us and provide direction to us in terms of our mission and vision? Or are there things that you think we're missing? Uh, what I try to do is uh, consolidate it down to a single slide so it looks more like the dashboard that the board is receiving. It's not identical, but as closer to that as possible. Uh, we set um, fiscal year, um, we, we showed fiscal year 17 results. Uh, we then used a benchmark, and then we set for those areas where we felt we could at this point in time, goals for the fiscal year 18. Um, for the benchmarks, we used the advisory board, uh, which is a pseudo-academic research organization that supports a lot of healthcare throughout the country. They're actually based in New York. They have a high number of clients in California and elsewhere. We use the national co the national benchmark rather than a uh, a narrower benchmark. I felt when I looked at the numbers uh, that the N was getting too small when we narrowed it down, and so I wanted to use the the entirety of the country participations. And if you want to see more detail on that and what that looks like, I'm happy to share that to you and, and get it to you either offline or we can put it on board effects for you to see who participates. Um, in terms of um, the goal, if we were in the uh, 50th percentile, I set the goal for 18 as the 60th. The, the way the data cuts out, it doesn't show the 51st or 52nd. It showed us that we were at the 50th, 
and I thought that the goal should be for an increase to the, the next decile. And so, again, we looked at national data, uh, we used FY17 results, uh, and then the goal we set as an increase from whatever percentile or decile we're in to the next uh, for FY18. And I wanted to get some, just as you look at this and digest it, get some feedback, see what your thoughts are on it. Um, in the area of workers' compensation, we're working with a new uh, insurer uh, that we just signed a new contract with, and uh, we'll be working with them to identify what is a reasonable benchmark for a healthcare system such as ours, and then we'll create some goals around that, around our safety programs to reduce the number of injuries, of workplace injuries, and lost, uh, lost errors that are caused out of those uh, workplace injuries. Back on that, so um, you're working with our new workers' comp insurer yep. to develop benchmarks. Well, well, where are we with that? I mean, but are there national benchmarks for that category as well? We were working with our previous uh, vendor, which was Athens. We They weren't able to find anything, and so we're trying to drive out of our new vendor something that we can measure ourselves against this, with, that we think is appropriate. If we have an issue with this, then we'll come back and let you know that. What was the group that you used for the, for the top? Benchmarks? The advisory board. The advisory board. So the advisory board doesn't have data on workers' comp? They don't do, th this is not an area that they have data on. Is there some other group that does other than our insurer? So we'll work with that with the insurer and our TPA who provides it, and we'll look for other sources where we can get reasonable workers' compensation data. We'll share with you what the source is and, and where they measure against, and so you can feel, you can say whether you feel that's a comfortable measurement or it's something that you want us to do more work on. Do we know, I mean, do we have sort of, compared to ourselves, are we getting worse, better, or? We're generally getting better. Um, I would say we want an outside benchmark. I'm not comfortable with us just measuring against ourselves. I previously worked a number of years ago at Kaiser, and before we did HCAPs at Kaiser, we thought we were great. So I was yeah. at Santa Clara, brand new hospital. Our scores were great against the other Kaiser facilities. As soon as we started benchmarking externally, we didn't look so great and that drove us to process improvements in a number of areas. So whether we're getting better, that clearly is our goal, reduce number of workplace injuries, but I, I think we need something external that we can hold ourselves accountable to and say we're moving towards that standard. I, I, I was curious relative to the to the national benchmark versus a California benchmark. Yeah. Are there no Cali I mean, when I think about the national picture, we are so very different in California than most of the nation. So it doesn't give a board a sense of a balance of where we fit in the, in, certainly in the Bay Area, but in, in California as a whole. So what can be done in that, in that relationship? The advisory board has a specific um, cohort that we can narrow it to. It doesn't have a California specific because the end gets too small and they feel that that impacts on the data. It's not a large enough group. Uh, but there is a specific region, and we could look. We could certainly look at that and include it and see what your thoughts are on that. And I can provide more data on who's actually participating as um, as granularly as I can get from the advisory board. There's, there's nothing specific by them that would just carve out California specifically. So are there no other, are there no other uh, resources that we can use to compare ourselves in California to other uh, private and public hospitals? There are, there are a couple of other organizations. Some of them, um, there's, a, there's an organization called the Conference Board that was purchased by Deloitte & Touche. 
uh, that do, do similar types of data, whether or not we can narrow it down to California specifically, I have to speak to them. Um, we're already members of the advisory board, and so this is part of the package we get for them, but we can look beyond it. I'm not opposed to trying to narrow it down and get something for California. Uh, and I know that's not what you're asking. You're sort of trying to see, is there a comparable for California? Um, that, that, that's what I'm, yeah. I'm looking for. The, yeah. the other is that, while it's nice to know how we yeah. set nationally, yeah. the, the, the range is so incredible yes. throughout the nation. So it, so it doesn't really give you a perspective yeah. of how we're doing within our own market, within our own uh, recruitment areas, with how we compete with California. It's just not, and, and the likelihood, uh, if we're looking for, for uh, employees, they're not going to move from from Alabama to California and get a job. They're just, I mean, so... We, I, we don't disagree. I think one of the issues is you... There's an adage in healthcare, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital. And it's an unfortunate adage because it means there's, a, there's an incredible lack of standardization. And so if we look at uh, Washington Hospital, for example, uh, within our county, the south part of the county is a not-for-profit incredible high rates of pay for the executive team and others in that organization. Um, that uh, is a reasonable to mid-sized hospital. We look even within our own systems and we acquired Almeida Hospital in financial difficulty, low pay, maybe 50 people in the hospital at one time, often it's as low as 30. And so even within our system we have massive variation. We can narrow it by region uh, to a degree but we're always going to get significant fluctuations. Those hospitals with over 2,000 employees have a higher turnover rate with those than under. We sort of sit in the, in the middle in that we're a small health system, about actually about 4,800 employees in total now, um, but we're not a large system. We don't really fit with a small community hospital, and while we're a public employer and a, a, effectively a county system, we're, we're distinct and separate in that we employ the employees, they're not part of the civil service. And so that there's going to be significant variation there. That what looking at the national data does to some extent it washes out that variability, and that it includes lots of everything. And so it's going to even out some problems. It may not be the right approach. And if we can find something specific to California, we certainly will. And I did, the recruitment piece is is absolutely crucial because it is a very specific market in the Bay Area. Um, turnover was often higher here, particularly around 2005, and, and within the nursing group. And I don't think uh, that that was reflected everywhere in the country. So we, we do have some uniqueness to the area. Um, I don't know that narrowing it down geographically to this area helps in that competitors that we could look at for employment might be UCSF, an academic medical center, very different than ourselves, Stanford, Kaiser, 150,000 employee health system. And so they are, while close to us, are very different also. So their turnover and how they deal with things is going to be different than ours. So I, I was going to say, you know, I, I see an advantage of, of using a national comparison in issues like safety and infection, etc. I mean, because those kinds of care issues should be universal across, across the country. But relative to issues of, of, of recruitment and turnover, and if we don't have an idea of how we look in relationship to it would be nice for the Bay Area, and I understand it's a smaller market, so I can see that. But within California, if we don't have a sense of how that looks, it, it, I don't know why we would then just keep looking at data that doesn't really have 
subs substantive uh, meaning. Uh, and my point was kind of to follow on that. I, uh, with regard to turnover rates and, and even in any um, national, local, regional, whatever comparison, I, I, I agree that maybe with, with um, you, Tony, that maybe that's not going to help us so much to, because we're not comparing apples to apples. But we, what we should be looking at, in my opinion, is to look at turnover rates with regard to the, the services that we offer, turnover rates in different places, if those are higher or lower. If we say it's 12.34, but it's zero in, lab, in labor and delivery, and it's you know 50 in um, rehab, then there's something going on there. So yep. I would be more yeah. like, liking to drill down to, and also turnover rate by tenure, to look at do people, what we heard a little while ago, but also do, do people tend to come in and if they are not immediately given the family treatment and get the sense of what a great place it is to work and how much they're affecting and improving the community, do they tend to leave or is it all about, is it all about um, salary? You know, so those are the kind of things, like those two things, the turnover rate, um, how is that related to tenure and how is it related to the position in the department? That rather than how is it related to a hospital in Fremont or somewhere? Well, there, there are a couple of things. I think they're all good points, and I, and I take the feedback, and I think it's useful. If we get into, we're, I'm happy to report on all that information. Well, I'm but, just bringing that up as a yeah, dashboard discussion. But, but it sort of doesn't lend itself to a dashboard. Right. It's, just, it's a right. detailed, substantial report, not really a dashboard to try. This was an attempt to try and track overall how we're progressing as an organization. I do think there are times uh, that we should dig into very specific areas. HR does that. We have business partners in each of the facilities now, and their role is to work with the CAOs on specific issues in those facilities, help identify and help resolve those issues. This was really an attempt to roll it up to the highest level as opposed to show that detailed report. I'm not opposed to sharing it. It just wasn't the intent of this. We were trying to roll it up just like the board uh, full dashboard that you look at there, which you know digests or uh, brings together a lot of elements to, into a single page so you can track and then dig into the detail if you want and then raise Well, questions. absolutely. And, and I'm not asking, I appreciate even on the dashboard that there's, there's system-wide turnover and then there's nursing turnover, which yep. is which is critical to see those two things um, broken out. But also, as I look at this, and as you and I discussed briefly, and as you heard from the the full board, we're trying to find a thing or a place where we can look at the strategic plan and look yep. at um, how the system is going forward, where we can measure make some measurement here. And that's been a um, okay. A goal with that with the board when we adopted the budget and when we discussed the strategic plan. So, um, do you have any thoughts about how these, which of these, or how these relate to some measurable? I mean, from a workforce standpoint, we're not going to achieve anything unless we get stability in our workforce, a well-trained workforce, and a highly engaged workforce. Um, you know, engagement's not on here because it's, this is really, engagement's a snapshot in time. We do an annual survey or we do it every 18 months, two years. However frequently we do it, it becomes that moment in time where these things should be moving on a regular basis and it's a more dynamic thing. We'll see turnover happen frequently. We'll see um, turnover change. We'll see the speed of hiring change. And you would see a, a progression on that whether we're moving towards a target. Engagement tends to be a moment in time from, from when we do it. I think all of them help us drive um, 
to reach um, you know our strategic objectives which is you know if, if I take a step back even to a higher level about what our overall mission and vision is Delvecchio envisions us as an anchor in the community and so we want to hire as much as possible from the specific community that we serve when we can and that we want that to be more than it has been in the past I think if we've got high turnover I think if we're not filling our positions in a reasonable amount of time those things are going to knock on to the to the and affect the other things that we're trying to achieve so I don't think they're a solvable and that's why we want to have this discussion to get get this crystallized for you as a group to feel that you can then feed up to the full board that we are tracking we are helping from a workforce standpoint and if this is not right we need to adjust it that's the purpose of this and we're, I'm open absolutely to the feedback thank you um, so I really appreciate this dashboard I think it's very helpful to have uh, the elements that yep. you've listed um, I'm going to suggest a couple of things yep. but I, I think that we would expect of you and your team Tony to uh, present this as you're doing on a quarterly basis yep. for the meetings however uh, you must have access to the data beneath this and so yep. you would be able for example I'm just it's a hypothetical you would be able to come to us and say um, hey you know we're still at about 12 percent this quarter and uh, we looked a little bit deeper and here's what we're seeing we're seeing a lot of um, uh, turnover right now that's primarily among uh, women who have been here only a couple of years mm -hmm. um, it's those kinds of patterns that we need to understand why that's happened and where it's happening but you're right if we were to slice and dice this data all night long we'd be here forever and I don't expect to do that to do that um, the other thing is I, I want to differ a little bit on the engagement survey um, and this is why you're right you can do the engagement today and things happen overnight two months from now people feel really different that day but when you use um, you know those those measures over time you get a chance to see you know from year to year hopefully what are what are some of those things happening perhaps that might have changed that data I'm not seeing here something a little bit more uh, high texture and I don't know that we do this so let me just ask do we do exit interviews now with anyone who's a regretted loss not people who are terminated but folks who choose to leave on their own um, there are two things the, the first uh, I may have um, let me think about the second one first the answer is yes we do exit interviews on all people who leave okay. or they're given an opportunity to, to be interviewed uh, we use a vendor called the, the work institute okay. um, the data is still fresh. I think we've, we've talked about this before, that the amount of responses is low, and so that the okay. N is not one that I would trust at this point to see a trend. Okay. Um, if the, and the individual who is interviewed is given an opportunity to raise a compliance or safety issue, when a compliance or safety issue is raised by that person, it comes to HR directly as an individual email from the vendor or to the compliance department, mm -hmm. and then we do an investigation in that area. If it's a, for example, someone 
can be disgruntled, they're unhappy about leaving, uh, then we would find that out. If there is a valid issue or it's an issue that's not clear to us, then we're going to do a more detailed investigation to understand it. Mm -hmm. Over time, I would expect to see some, some trends from those people who are exiting, why they're exiting, and frankly, separate to that within the HR department, my team's currently working on a dashboard for me uh, that's going to look at some of these elements and some additional elements mm -hmm. so that I can see a trend and the business partners can see a trend and create interventions prior to it becoming uh, extremists in that area. That the, mm -hmm. We see that a manager's struggling. We may not know why. Uh, we know that the outcome of that is going to be greater turnover, greater difficulty engaging employees, and therefore worse um, patient um, outcomes. And so then we, we engage in a solution to that, whatever that may be, and it's going to vary each individual in each individual case. Um, and so that's going to allow us to look at a more projective fashion as opposed to a reactive. I think right now we're still reactive. Okay. And all of this is like data, right? This, this is data that happens after the fact and we can look at an error and try and fix it. I don't know there are that many things we can do that are predictive other than look at this over a period of time and start to intervene at an earlier stage with a manager and say, it's clear you have a problem whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. We're here to help, and we're going to help you get back on track. Yeah. And I'm simply saying that um, once you have a little bit more data yeah. on the exit interview, yeah. I, know I, would, yeah, I know I would want to know if we can just agree on some very high-level buckets, yeah. you know, ter they, they left because they were just simply unhappy, yeah. right? They left because they were, um, you know, they got a better job. Wh whatever those end up being, you can determine those. But I would like to see that because I think of anything, those who leave, those who end up leaving, can at times be early warning mechanisms yeah. in different departments, right? Yeah. So it's important to track that. And then for engagement, um, I, I would like to encourage us to potentially think about some of the newer ways in which people are doing engagement. So I think you know this, but I'm going to say it out loud for the record. Um, we all think of engagement surveys as, you know, we send a paper pencil or a survey online, people fill it out. Now we've got companies that are sending out a text message to all phones, and you just have a pulse check for the moment. You know, how is the workplace today? Happy face, sad face, mean face, you know, whatever. And that sounds very uh, childish, but it's actually a, an incredible way to take the pulse of an organization. And I think we need to think about engagement scores and engagement surveys with a little bit more of that kind of uh, innovative you know, approach because I'm with you. Those are hard to manage, hard to get everybody to do those. And these other tools now are emerging as a way to really take a pulse on how people feel. Yep. I wanted to go back to the engagement piece, if I may. I wasn't suggesting that I don't think it's important that we do it. it is what I mean by a moment in time is we get that snapshot of the engagement score and it doesn't progress throughout the year. My hope was we'll be moving the, the needle yeah. on all of these. It would be the same for the full year until we do the next survey or whatever period of time that lapses in between. Yeah. Uh, and I do hear you about the, the other pulse. Yeah. Um, I'm not opposed to that. We just need to think about practically how we do it in an environment where most employees don't have company-based cell phones. We don't have everybody's cell phone number and so you're looking at a, a narrower number of people in specific areas but again not opposed to the thought and, and yeah. want to give some thought to it 
And, and, and I would uh, I would just say that that is a similar concern in other companies, but you'd be amazed what happens when employees feel that the employer is actually interested in what they think, and they'll pay the text message charge for the ten cents that it takes for them to do those three little questions or something like that. Yeah. The, the turnover data. The only thing I'd say at this point is we'd want to keep it high level in terms of the areas as well. Because there could be an N of one, the feedback may be, you know, not good, and then you can identify when we're talking about it in a public session that's an individual oh, yeah. manager. So generally, I'm, I'm absolutely fine sharing it. It's so new. When we get a lot more data into that, I think it'll be much easier and more difficult to identify a specific area. Uh, right now, let me look at the way we, we cut it up and then see ways to provide it. And then if it meets your needs, then that's great. If it doesn't, then you can give me feedback and we can work out ways to do it better. Joe, did you want to add something? Barry, Barry, go ahead. Well, I'm not sure that I'm first, but um, it, just because I, it makes me interested, um, Tracy mentioned the, um, the different areas and that there may be some that are high, higher yeah. turnover than others, yeah. and some of that would be very informative and interesting. Yeah. But also, how long have people been here? Do the ones, is there kind of a lot of turnover in the early two or three years that are people yes. are here, and then they stay forever? And also, you know, the doctors, for instance, are not in these data because we aren't employees, but we tend to stay. And um, so I don't know. I just think it's, yeah. it's, there's some, a lot of interesting ways of... The, the yeah. OPD doctors are in here. The, obviously, the contracting physicians or groups are not yeah. in here. Yeah, uh, that's and true. just as a direct answer, the answer is yes. Turnover's high in the first year. It's horrifically high in the first year particularly with nurses, um, and then after the third or fourth year, it drops off considerably. And that's so replicated in most industries. That, that would be an interesting thing to see a comparison to other Bay Area hospitals or California or National. I mean, we just heard, again, we're not commenting. I mean, I don't know what the new grad program is, but to hear half of our new nurses leave after a year, if that's true, that is troubling. And I don't know that it's true. I'm just saying that's what we heard. And so maybe it would be good to know if turnover I mean, I know you can't always keep a new employee. The first year is, is probationary in most organizations. So, six uh, months. Oh, six months here? Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, and is that turnover in part because of their performance? Like, it would be great to know. If you, you just used the word horrific. That's even worse than 50%. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's below 50%, but it, from my is perspective, it really? I, it's, it's lower than 50% the first year turnover. You know, it's well above 20, uh, I think it's about 28%. I'm doing this from memory, so I'd want to validate that. First year turnover is very high. Is yeah. that for nursing or for all across all categories? For, for nursing, uh, and I would tell you that we don't differ very much from healthcare in general. The turnover rate is very high. I, I would like, you know, I, I've, I think everything that the board has mentioned is, yeah. is worthy of exploration. Yeah. Um, and I know you're asking for us to to lock in on the dashboard, and, and I respect that. But maybe what we could do is to do this in a, in a more systematic way. So I would like to have you go to time on hire, tell us what that means when it says we fill a position, explain that, and tell me who you are com making comparisons to. And go through each one of these things so that there's an understanding of what it is we're dealing with when we're looking at a dashboard. Um, that would be most helpful to me because right now I'm 
I, I can't support what's up here. Okay. And I don't understand it, and I need to understand what the definition is, okay. what you're comparing it to, um, the advisory group, you know, I, so okay. could you do that? Yeah, that I can do. I thought the, the descriptions were intended to be the definition. Right. If they're not clear, we can clarify it. Well, when you fill a position, does that mean that they are on the job? It does not. And so, so there, yeah. there's a clear, there's a could be another 30 days before they're on the job. Yes. So that doesn't help us when you know that you've got a shortage and you have filled a position, but the person is not on the job. It's, so it, it's a, yeah, so we'll clear that definition up because it's, this is a standard measurement industry-wide right. for recruitment and, it's time and that's, right. so that's the point I'm yeah. making yeah. is that we're dealing with a medical industry that has had trouble and I'm speaking from education because I know trouble. that trouble. I know <laughs> teachers okay I, I understand that so you can't just use yeah. what has been going on forever and ever because we will just perpetuate what we see as some of the difficulties so if we're wanting to fill a position and the person is not on the job, these people come up and say we're shorthanded and you're feeling comfortable because we have filled a position. The board looks and says we filled a position. These people look like they're lying and in fact they are not because there's nobody on the floor that's helping them. So it, this doesn't mean anything to me. Well, the, the issue with that, when I'm talking industry, I was talking about recruitment industry as opposed to healthcare. There's very little data about time to start. Most of the data is time to fill, and I accept it offer because that's how recruitment systems work. But you know internally. Yeah, I can tell you internally, but I can't then benchmark it to an external environment that says this is what other people do. Well, why do I need to know what in in relationship to that? Because you're telling me you want to look at it nationally. I don't care what they do in New York. I don't. But I do care what they do. In, at Kaiser, I do care what they do at Ch Children's Hospital or, or, or Stanford, etc. Yeah. So, but I can only tell you that if they are willing and able to participate in the same tools that we are, and then the vendors willing to narrow it all the way down, you know. So, I mean, we are limited by the tools that, that are publicly available and that people share. I could call Stanford now. Well, then why do you want a dashboard? Because no, 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 the dashboard is. Yeah. It's several things. I mean, the, yeah. it's on the dashboard, and we're kind of looking at this as a big, um, as, as a broader thing. I see what you're saying, um, Michelle, and, and we do want to know these, the, what our higher time is. I think it's more, you mentioned this earlier, it's more useful in some ways to compare it to what it was last year or the year before to see if we're improving. But um, what, what, what today's discussion hopefully is going to be about is, are these the metrics we want to use? If you look at this one page, these five things, and I would venture that uh, from the discussion I've heard, I think we want to use several of these, but we want to get more in some of these and maybe not even use the other ones. I'm not sure myself about workers' compensation in last days. Yeah. We, um, that's going to tell us how we're doing in terms of safety, but we're getting that information from risk management. We're going to get it from okay. other places. So um, if that's a big problem, we're going to, the whole board would know about it, I would expect. Um, I don't think, and, and there's not a lot to drill down to because of privacy, because of um, these things tend to be in a moment, you know, they're not always related. I mean, if it all happens when we change, when we add a new, um, a new system or something, that would be one thing, but 
and you can see now as we've changed with the out of the new hospital and, and um, hopefully things are progressing so I'm just suggesting that we look at these and my personally I would like to see time to hire and turnover rates be get a couple of more get a little more information about those things okay. and then the ethnicity um, this this is difficult from a targeting I mean it, it, it is going to give you the information um, and so this we put it on there but again it's a discussion point of whether or not we right right it's not going to change that so dramatically not any, yeah. every no. um, it could shift with hiring, right, but it's, right. so I, it's I'd expect it there, but yeah. I don't see a lot more that, yeah. that is going to inform us yeah. other than what's up there. But um, so, yeah, that would, that's my suggestion. But, but we're getting, we have well, a lot second, more wait, to discuss wait, wait, here, wait. so we need to figure out if, if we're going to move forward with this dashboard or if we should continue to discuss it at another time. What, were you going to say something, Joe? I I a couple this. things. Yeah, and first, I would just say, that, again, it's a dashboard. You, you know, it's not going to give us all the detail behind each of those things. Um, so I, you know, but um, well, I do have a quick question. Other leaves, number of employee non-workers comp related leaves, that's not, that's not PTO. No, it that's, could be a FEMLA, if it could be a protected leave, but it's right. not work. Yeah. Right, okay, I just want to clarify that. But um, it tells us a little bit about maybe the health of the organizational, you know, labor force. Um, it, one idea I was having, because we, we I, this I think deja vu, I, I swear we did this two and a half months ago. Um, <laughs> the same thing, we started with the dashboard, we all have a lot of detailed questions about these general categories, and it's a dashboard. And so I wonder if it would help to accept that this is a dashboard, we can take a look what we put up there, but at each meeting over the next you know, year, we say we're going to do a deep dive onto two items on the dashboard. So next quarter we do, you know, annual turnover in nursing, and we get granular, and we really look at well, for first year nurses, nurses at Fairmont versus nurses at Highland, whatever, and we do a deep dive on other leaves, and then the next quarter we do a deep dive on ethnicity or on time to hire. Like maybe we need to do that, and then restrain ourselves to not. Jump, jump deep on the whole dashboard right. when it is just a dashboard. Maybe well, that would help. Define dashboard for me. Maybe that's my my problem. Well, you know, of course, so if you look at your car and your, your dashboard says yeah, your oil light comes on, that tells you that your oil is low, but it doesn't tell you why. you got to get under the hood and figure out where the oil leak is. You guys sound like Ross Perot. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get under the hood. No, anyway, but, so yeah, a dashboard tells you that your car is running hot, but you don't know why. That's the deeper dive is figuring out, well, the, what is the radiator, is it a hose? I, I get the deeper yeah. dive issue. So, so I, I get the deeper dive issue. But if the dial on there does it, if there's no indication about the gas meter and I'm run out of gas, then then it's a dashboard that doesn't serve any purpose right, to me. Right, and so the dashboard has to be so something that benchmark. moves. Right. That's the benchmark. All right, that's the benchmark that we're measuring ourselves against, and that and that's why that's so important. And, uh, and and but we also have to rely on, on on staff to say, hey, we see a problem here. We, we're recommending a deeper dive into turnover for nursing or time to hire. Like we have to rely on them to do that and, and to show us those changes. The same way with our our broader dashboard, you know, we get those yeah. those little yeah. mountains that yeah. peaks oh, every yeah. month, and then yeah. Del Vecchio explains why. Um, 
So if you say this is a dashboard, the only other thing that came up was engagement. Is that is and that a dashboard issue? It could be. Your issue with, so the, the, as Maria described it, yes, if you do regular poll checks. Right. If you do once a year, then it's a moment in time. So yeah. But you, you can want do engagements about turnover. Why are you... About why are you leaving? You yeah. know, if you it's a separate, but a separate issue to general engagement, which mm -hmm. you do the survey once you get the overall score. You do have mm -hmm. department all the way down to units yeah. that have more than five employees, but that's the moment. And you will do things in the year, and the next time you do the survey, you'll see if you improve. But between the two, right. you're not seeing a fluctuation on a dashboard. You want to see move, ideally movement, yeah. not just the same number so, coming up time so, and again. So could I say this though on engagement? We just heard five speakers bring up pretty important stuff and there's no place where that comes to us as a compendium of issues going on in this system so engagement surveys sometimes can give you a flavor of what's going on and if you have open fields or areas where you can customize that you might hear about that but I think for, this is me speaking. I, I do understand the engagement profile is just a moment in time. I just hope we have some other way of finding out about those issues and that we're collecting data on what kind of issues are posing challenges to the quality of care. Because everything I heard there, frankly, would show up in some way, shape, or form on engagement. But it wouldn't be the underneath the engine look to say, wow, the reason people are so frustrated is they're feeling like either I go to the bathroom or my patient dies or I can't find the right equipment without falling off a chair that's broken. I don't know if that's just one department and one situation, but somehow we should be able to get the pulse of those kinds of issues on a more frequent basis than once a year. So, well, and I, I, I agree with you, but I'm not sure that those, that, that that's an employee engagement, that when somebody has a worker's comp leave, that it's not going to show up in employee engagement when they fall off their chair, or if, you know, if you don't have um, enough staff, hopefully that's being communicated to the, the, the managers of the department. If it's not, then that's certainly a problem, and that so, would come up yeah. in employee engagement. I am... Um, would ask, I know, Joe, you want to say something? But we have been talking about this for yeah. an hour, and I, I'm going to suggest and take a point of order and suggest that we go move right in, into employee engagement, which is the fifth thing on here, oh. so that we can just finish that um, discussion since we've been talking about it, and we can talk about how often we're going to do it. Okay. And I think that'll give, um, that'll give an opportunity for, um, for HR to share, continue yeah. this discussion about why... Yeah. It is a point in time what we can do if we do it less frequently, how we can do it more robustly, perhaps. So, yeah. And with some staff who might need to make childcare arrangements by upending the agenda. Uh, so, <laughs> the, um, so are we tabling that, this, the dashboard decision? Is that what we're doing? We're, so I heard some feedback action. about some changes. All of, all of the, there are no action items on the agenda. Right, so right. I heard some feedback. I got to weigh you know, uh, Pull this together, see what I think, send it out to Tracy and let her socialize it with you about adjustments to it. See if what, what I captured makes sense to you so we can progress it. Uh, and so we keep moving towards something that where you feel like you're monitoring and that it is, 
um, that it is a dashboard, that you think you can see the general health of the organization while you're not going to see it to the detail. Um, well, and, and to, how does the committee feel about Joe's suggestion about the deep dive on one or two dashboard things? I know that, Michelle, you're still not comfortable with our, our comparisons about, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm confused based on the conversation that I've heard. So here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing we want to compare ourselves to ourselves to see if we have been making progress. That makes sense to me. I, I get that. We want to compare ourselves nationally, which does not make sense to me, but that's just one voice. That does not make sense to me. Um, so how do you do both of those things when you only have one up there? So it, in the dashboard, we looked at FY17 performance. We looked at an FY18 goal. We'll be looking at, F, we have a target for FY18, and we'll be looking at progress through FY18. Then Where we does the advisory come in? So the advisory board is the external benchmark. And so what I, th what I thought I heard you say was to look at whether we can narrow the cohort to more reflect California specifically. And if we can Pretty do that California. without compromising the data so the number doesn't get too small, um, then that's what we would do. And yes, so instead of nationally... You, when you put up the, the dashboard numbers, I didn't yeah. see the... If you have the numbers up there and you do yeah. the percentage, where where are you comparing your your comparison, your national comparison, yeah. wherever, and your internal comparison? Where were those numbers? I so FY17 was the, the year we just finished. The goal or the target was FY18, so that's so what we're going to work towards. Mark. And the, the benchmark, benchmark is the advisory board. The benchmark board. is basically what is happening nationally, where yeah. where most organizations are similar to us or the 50th percentile. Yeah, as okay. well. We, we mark. So when I when you show me the next growth yeah. number, and, and I, I I feel like a fool here because I, I mean I, I think I know data. I've been working with it, but can we show it? Again? If you put this Design. back up, can you? Uh, I don't have. Dave, can you pull the other one back in? And I know, I know we have people waiting, so... Um, the, so, the 16... We'd look at year-to-date performance. So, if we... Okay. So, going left to right, we've got what the metric is, what we're measuring, the description, we can clean that up. We can be much clearer on that. Then we have what we did in FY17. Okay. Yeah, we just finished. That's, okay. So that's performance. How did we do? The benchmark. And that's, uh, that's our own? That's us. Yes. That's yes. us. Okay. Benchmark is the advisory board, 50th percentile nationally. Heard the feedback about looking locally, we'll, more locally. We'll do that if it's actually possible. The goal. Now, now, how do I know looking at that, what our, when you show me the next thing, how am I going to see our comparison? Year is that going to be year-to-date year performance? Year-to-date performance. Okay. So we have nothing in there now because we just started the fiscal year. There is no data to, to input, and so we'll have year-to-date okay. performance. So I'm only going better. to be comparing the 56. So this thing is going to go out yeah. further, and I'll have a benchmark. That's so when I year, see right. the next year, right. I, I, I see that. So I'm, what I'm trying to think is what is it I'm tracking? What you're am I tracking? You're going to look at year-to-date performance versus the benchmark and the goal. Would so, you yeah. like to have more years in, in the past on there? Would that help? 
Um, not, not, not necessarily. I don't need. I, I need to know what we're going to do forward. But what am I? What am I going to look at when you show this? The the it wouldn't be an arrow. It would, for us, it would be a number. So yeah, year right. to date, how are we doing against the national benchmark right now? And we'll, we'll look at changing that to be more local. Right. And the goal. So the goal is 51 days. A quarter from now, I'll tell you how we're doing against 51 yeah. days. We might do it 30 days. We could do it 70 days. Yeah. And okay. if it's 70, I'll have to have a reason for that and be very clear what that is and a plan to resolve it. If it's 30, I'll need to explain how do we get it to, to be that number. So the year to date is simply what we've done in the last period, which will be a quarter of the year, against what our goal is. You'll be able to look back and see how did we do in FY17, how are we doing against the benchmark. Okay. So, Tony, when you fill in the year to date, I, yeah. I'm, so, I'm so sorry, but when you fill in the year to date, yeah. let, let's assume that year to date will be uh, 53. Yeah. Okay. So... What that when I look at fifty three then year to date, yep. it will show me an improvement. Yes. How do I know that the benchmarks haven't changed nationally? Because they're done on an annual basis. They don't they don't shift That's in that right. sort of way. So well, it's year to date. So you're going to show me all year to date. The national benchmarks are done on an annual basis. You dump the data into whatever the tool is that you're using. They pull it from all the people who participate, and they, it's a backward-looking thing. So they look. We've got. Well, so at, at then, 60. aren't I only looking at our improvement? Yes. You, no, you're looking at our improvement and what what the right, benchmark was nationally for the last time that they got data. But the, but the data for the national benchmark is not going to move. But it is what everyone did last year, and are we performing at it better than it or worse than it? Okay. But but it's those sorts of benchmarks are not real time. That there's no way for that to occur in any time. That's sort. my point. Yeah. Yeah, it's not real time. So why are we even putting it up because there? Because And it's is. national, yeah. and it makes no sense. So it's a year old, because it's it national data, and it no, no. doesn't serve a purpose. Michelle, so what, the national what, data says that cancer rates are at 25%. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with, with that thing. If, 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 the, if the California star tests say that all eighth graders are at this level at the end of the fiscal year, you measure your school against that. Which is the controversy because that's not right. Okay, well, yeah, we're not going to fix that. That's statisticians. <laughs> by so you, you just have to acknowledge that that is not, yeah. that's not Could a problem. Could I make a really nuanced Okay, okay I'm done. I, yeah. I promise. We can move on. I will say okay. nothing else. I so I, the I, dashboard requires benchmarks. We can get rid of those okay, benchmarks and say here's where we were and here's where we are now. And, and here's our goal, and, and here's where we're in at. Yeah, and that's, that's fine. So <laughs> how about if you just don't look at that column, just black it out. Okay, and, you know, and I'll be, I'll be okay. a good girl. Could I, okay. could I just make a really random suggestion? I, I really appreciate I agree that the national standard, I think, is too broad. I don't want to be compared to Kansas. <clears throat> I also don't want to be compared to the northeast corner of California. I, is there a, is there a no. western region urban? I, I can like, tell you the answer to that is no. Yeah. Okay. So I can do urban hospitals. I can do urban. over two. I, but but that's national. And okay. I can do over two thousand. The, the narrower I make it, the smaller the end is. I got. And it might be one other participant. And what use is? What that? I was going to say is, I have no problem with you including Seattle, Portland, you know, West Coast. If it, but it, but again. Urban. So you were talking about the western region of China, uh, Pacific region. Pacific. And, Pacific. and oh, is it because the that's what they do. What is the name of the organization? The advisory, board. the advisory board 
Sorry. We're, okay. we're limited by the I number of people who are members of the advisory board right. in each region. It's not because it's, there's it, only uh, one other um, hospital in California. No, it's, it's no different than press scanning yeah. engagement. You, 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 you compare yourself to all the other participants. That's it. And you, you are limited by who those participants. We'll stop beating the source. Okay. okay, so um, we'll the, the, thank you, Tony. Uh, the discussion about engagement survey. Yeah, um, I wanted to bring that up because that was an issue that seemed to be related to um, yeah. to this. So, how often? If you can just so, give us some yeah, background, we, and then we'll. We've been doing engagement surveys for about ten years now. We plateaued at about twenty-seven percent at the twenty-seven percentile of press scanning uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, to give you context, we started at the first percentile. Right, so the 27th percentile is terrible. Uh, it's a lot better than the first percentile. Um, as we look through the next year, we're does Press Ganey give us the the, yeah. the survey? Is that is it come yeah. from them? And it, it goes from them to employees, and it's okay. blind. And okay. what you're saying is the 27th percentile of highly engaged. What is that? The 20. So our score of our overall engagement score. So they do a competitive on the score. Employees are engaged. No. We are at the 27th percentile of all, all right. participants. So okay. they look at all hospitals. All right. They have a large the part of They have yeah. a so benchmark, which is national. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a national benchmark. But, but it has uh, a diverse uh, cornucopia of participants. Urban hospitals, rural hospitals, academic medical centers, safety net hospitals. But the question for us is, we in the last, coming up right now, we're going to do a pulse check we did, uh, you may recall from your dashboard that there were 44 groups identified with low APR uh, scores, which, which is termed for action plan readiness. It really means, at its core, there's a disconnect between the manager and the employees. The employees are not ready for change and to engage. There's, there's a real problem there. In all of those areas, we engaged the consultant to work with the manager and the group, and then had our business, work, business partners on top of that work with the manager and the group to try and improve it. We're going to resurvey those groups uh, in the end, towards the end of July. And that's your pulse check. That's a pulse check, okay. but only for those groups. Because right. we want to see if the experiment worked. Does okay. this make any sense? Okay. Right? Or do we want to do something different? So we're going to look at that specific group where we can. Where we can do it. So if that group no longer exists, then obviously we're not going to resurvey them. So if this board happened to dissipate and break up in a separate group. We're not going to resurvey them and try and make it work. If it's a new manager, we'll resurvey them. If they report under a different structure, we'll resurvey them. If that department no longer exists because we broke it up, then we can't resurvey that group and it, we're not going to try and recreate it because it, would, it wouldn't be useful. Do the managers get their results? Yes. They do. Presuming that the number in the group is five or more. Right. So, mm -hmm. so you maintain anonymity. Okay. Uh, we, and then we'll work with those groups where we've seen improvement and we'll work with those groups where we haven't seen improvement to try and progress again. Um, the question is when do we do our next survey? So we've been doing this for a long time. My general sense is at this point we have substantial structural changes that are going on in the organization. In ambulatory, there are a lot of things that are going to change in the next 12 months in terms of how we deliver care. We're going to move uh, significantly towards capitation and away for fee-for-service. Uh, we're about to start implementing an electronic health record. The, all of these things are going to put massive strains on the organizations. Mm -hmm. Now, we can do a survey, and I'm, not, I'm in favor of knowing how engaged our employees are. We're also going to do management training. That's going to take us about 18 to 24 months to roll it out right across the company successfully. The question is, in this period, do we want to do a large survey again, or do we want to push it out for a longer period of time to see if these 
what could be termed various interventions actually have an impact. My, again, this is gut, I'm not going to tell you it's based on any uh, real data, is that we've been lurching every 12 or even six months at times when we've done a full survey and a pulse to react to the results. I think we need to spend more time building a longer-term plan for engagement for the organization. Most of that, in my mind, focuses on building the capacity of our managers so they can do a better job with their employees. And that's going to take us a little bit of time. So that's the general construct, and I wanted to get feedback and see how the board felt about it uh, before we do anything. I just wanted to get a sense of it. I know Maria's got a lot of experience in this area, and, and, and others of you may as well. Well, I, you know, employees get surveyed to death sometimes, yeah. and, and many companies try to hold off on um, the degree to which they do that so much that people get burnt out and don't feel like they want to engage in that. Um, I, I, there's a qualifier here, though. Uh, actually, too. How much does Prescani charges for this survey? I'd have to verify that for you. Offhand, I don't know. Yeah. We, we, the, it's rolled up with our uh, patient satisfaction survey, so I'd have to pull it out exactly. It, well, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Yeah. It's certainly not cheap. And and I guess if we're doing all of these things, you know, fundamentally, if you know that already employees are struggling to to be engaged, measuring it again will just simply confirm that for us, right? And the only thing that it helps us do is pinpoint where there's any kind of, you know, shining light that you can reward that manager for the good work that they're doing at that time. If we can do that, that's good. And of course, to continue to look for the problem areas. That's the only reason I would continue to keep to the schedule that you have, because again, that may be the only place where employees have an opportunity to send up red alerts about what's going on. Um, but again, many companies are aware of how much people feel surveyed to death. So they're trying very different things. And and I think that's to our advantage to look at that, both, both because of a price issue and second because I think that different ways of, in, of asking these questions would be helpful for us. So. Down the road, though, is that what you're saying? So it doesn't have to be immediate. I, oh, not immediate, I but, but I, 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 I think his argument is a good one. Yeah, no, I agree that, that right now there's a lot of things in flux. My, my only concern is that when you don't do the engagements yeah. survey, or let's say you postpone, yeah. maybe that would be yeah. a better way postpone, to say it. Let's yeah, postpone, postpone it. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't postpone it too long yeah. because, as I said, it may be the only voice you're giving to employees to send up a red flag about something that's of concern to them. So I that would be my... I also, I, I would like to make sure from here forward that all engagement surveys are sliced and diced very carefully by ethnicity, by tenure, by gender, by generation, generation, so people who are millennial, people who are boomers, people who are Gen Xers. Um, we need that kind of texture to any engagement survey because if everybody in a certain population is fine and dandy, that's great. It skews the numbers. And it's not going to give us the kind of texture that we need. Um, and, and we may need to look at this by one other um, level, and that is if you can look at the engagement scores around um, 
uh, like the department, I know you're doing this, but I'm, I'm concerned a little bit with where the greatest stress is in our uh, mm -hmm. uh, we, environments. Uh, so. And I would say we do know that internally in there, the yeah. areas we're spending most time yeah. working okay. on. Um, we have it down to, I, I can get it down to departments with one person in them, but we don't share no. it with the manager unless there are five because right. we want to maintain anonymity yeah. in those departments. You know, I, I've taken those things because I work here, and I find them incredibly stupid. Uh, it, I'm sorry, but I mean, they just, they don't ask questions that are actually relevant to my job, which of course is probably because I don't have the same kind of job that a lot of our employees have. I mean, I'm a, a little more autonomous, and, and you know, it's hard to say exactly who my manager is because I'm in a clinic, but I'm also in a department, and I'm also working with other people, and, you know, so I sometimes just decide which of my jobs I'm going to be answering the questions about, you know, and it, it, so I realize that it's not, you know, I'm not an average person, but I think sometimes we ought to read those questions before we send them out to people, and they are really... There, there, there are a couple of things that I would say. Um, the, the good surveys, press scan is expensive, the advisory board does it, well, Gallup does them you know, extensively. They're scientifically developed surveys. Mm -hmm. And so you can change the questions, now you've impacted the validity yeah. of the survey. No, uh, they do a lot of regression analysis on this to make sure it's right. The, the, the Gallup survey used to be, the question used to bother everyone when I was in a former employer was, do you have a best friend at work? And they hated it. And they wanted to, you know, we had bunches of PhDs tearing it apart saying it's useless. In the end, my answer is not a sophisticated one. It doesn't matter what it means. If they answer no, they're less engaged. That's actually what you need to know. If they answer yes, there's a tendency for them to be more highly engaged in their work. The fact that you don't understand why that plays out through an analysis really doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we can, we can sometimes analyze these things to death. The physician engagement survey is different and separate, distinct, and we do a physician engagement survey that's different from other employees. And some of the questions are, will feel silly, and they're repeated. And they've done so in a, in a mm -hmm. particular way to ensure the scientific validity of the survey. So I think people do analyze them from time to time, and they do get frustrated by them. They're like pre-employment psychometric assessments. You know, they will tell you something if you follow them. If once you start playing with the questions, then you start to, you start to play with the validity of them. We do need to ask questions that are specific to our environment at times to get real feedback from employees, and so we have some flexibility on some open-ended questions that we can add when we do the, the current survey to use. Okay. Uh, does anyone else have anything to say about that? Then I think, Tony, it sounds like you, um, you're going to do the pulse, yeah. which is great, and we could get, um, once we have the results from yeah. that, maybe in, uh, at our final quarter, yeah, maybe, we should. then we can bring this up mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would like to also do another, uh, suggest another point of order, since um, unless everybody wants to stay till 8 or 8.30, that we defer one of the next three items, and I know Jessica and Terry are both here. And um, we have three things left, the AHS Leadership Academy. I can do that another time. And we have a, I have a meeting with um, later in this week with Del Vecchio and Maria to talk about that, so that we can push oh, that out. That, that that can, with the okay. rest of the committee. So then we'll just proceed with tab number three with the health path strategy. Great. That's okay. Yeah. So. Good evening, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with you about Health Path. Dave, are you going to put me up there? Great. Okay. So, as 
Many of you may recall in early 2015, AHS got a $10 million grant from the Atlantic Philanthropies to build pathways into healthcare careers for underrepresented youth and young adults. Um, and initially, it was called the Pipeline to Opportunities Program, POP. I think we found that to be a little bit clunky, and so we rebranded last fall to Health Path. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of background on Health Path and where we are with the program today. So as we all know, health happens in communities. You know, AHS is really embracing and moving towards a population health, mo population health management model, and Health Path really fits um, right, with it, right in, in with that transition. Um, as Tony mentioned, we're really trying to position ourselves as an anchor institution in the community and try not just to look at the provision and treatment of physical health, but all the other determinants of health. Um, and that's really where Health Path comes in. And of all those sort of domains, those other those social determinants of health, it's really the economic health dimension um, or domain where, where Health Path fits in. We're trying to prepare young people for well-paying jobs in the community that are going to provide them with family-sustaining wages and economic security, not just for themselves, but for their families as well. And we are particularly targeting young people who are young people who come from low-income communities of color, who have low levels of educational attainment. They have few opportunities for exposure to the possibilities that a healthcare career or other good careers can offer. So we're very specifically targeting those youth in our communities. So while we are about addressing the economic determinants of health, you know, fundamentally, Health Path is really a workforce development strategy for AHS. So at the end of the day, we want to bring young people from our communities to AHS as, you know, our future workers, whether those are our doctors, our nurses, our allied health workers, our EVS workers, et cetera. Um, and we are trying to build a pipeline of workers that mirrors our community and our patient population because we all know that a more diverse uh, uh, employees are going to lead to higher quality health care and a better patient experience. So we are, that is really where we're targeting our work um, and that is the goal of Health Path. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about where these two goals, addressing the economic determinants of health and building a pipeline of workers, sort of really intersect. Um, so if you look at high school graduation rates for California, 21% of all high school students do not graduate high school within four years. And those statistics are even more sobering if you look at Latino students and African-American students. Um, and I'm sure, as we all know, without a high school degree in this economy, your economic prospects are dim. So the kinds of career exploration and career development programs we are doing are really essential to help students pursue an education and move on to a career um, that is going to um, provide that economic stability. We also have, know that there's growing need for healthcare workers, um, huge demand um, for healthcare workers. I was just at a meeting this morning of a relatively new partnership here called the East Bay Health Workforce Partnership, which is a sort of consortium of um, health care providers, health systems throughout Alameda County and Contra Costa and Alameda County. And they're doing some surveying of 
major healthcare employers in um, the East Bay, including AHS, and they were particularly looking at the demand for medical assistants, health coaches, and health navigators. And they found from this survey, which may have not have been totally scientific, that in the next year there was going to be a demand, there was going to be a shortage of 1,500 MAs, health coaches, and health navigators. And within three years, that was going to grow to over 4,000 to 4,125 FTEs within the next three years. And that was only in those three occupations. So you can imagine if we fold in nursing and other allied health careers, what that looks like. Um, and as a major employer in the East Bay, so AHS is the 10th largest East Bay employer, non-public employer. So it's a little bit tricky because we're kind of quasi-public there. But, you know, if you take out the UC Berkeley's and Alameda County and Costa, Contra Costa County, we're up there at the 10th largest. So we're a major employer that can provide real opportunities to the residents of Alameda County, um, you know, for good jobs. Um, and that's what we want to do through Health Path. We really want to help young people to be successful. So... I really want to show you how HealthPath is preparing that next generation of healthcare workers. Uh, but I want to start by sort of going back to some of our workforce data here at AHS. Um, and we've done some comparisons here of the AHS patient population and the AHS workforce. So on your left is our AHS patient population. I know this is, you know, these graphs are always hard to read. Um, and then where our workforce is in a handful of in-demand professions, um, MDs, RNs, clinical lab scientists, diagnostic imaging, pharmacists, social workers, and dentists. And I put the pharmacists, social workers, and dentists off to the right because those are really small ends. And so, you know, a few people of one ethnicity can really sort of skew that, as you can see with the gray line being the... Um, uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander. But you can get a sense of where our workforce is compared to our patient population. Um, and we really are not reflecting the community that we serve in terms of our workforce. If we dig just a little deeper there, you can take a look at the Latino patient population at 36% of our patient population, and you can look where we are at MAs, uh, excuse me, MDs, 4%, or RNs, 8%. We are so woefully underrepresented if you dig deeper at the Latino population. African-American population, we're doing a little bit better. Our patient population is at 29%. We are up at 27% for RNs. That more or less mirrors our patient population, and we're overrepresented in social workers. But in other areas, we're, way wonder, uh, we're very underrepresented. However, if you now look at the AHS patient population and compare that to the health path population, so these are the students who are coming through the pipeline programs, you can see that our population of students mirrors the AHS patient population almost exactly. And those are really the young people that we're trying to cultivate as our future workers. Um, you know, this is, we hope, our workforce of the future. Um, when, what, when you're defining health pack population, are you saying the people who are participating or potential people? The people who are participating, the young enrolled. people who They're are now, currently enrolled. Now yeah. enrolled in health pack. Yeah. Okay, thank yeah. you. And this is actually, I'm going to get into this a bit later, representative of one of our programs, which, are, which is our HEAL internship program, but it's the largest of our pipeline programs, and it's the one that we sort of run and own here at AHS, and I can get into that a bit more later. Um, so... How does Health Path work? Um, we're providing internships 
and other work-based learning experiences through which students are discovering an array of healthcare co careers. Um, they're placed in hospital departments, so they're getting hands-on experience and seeing firsthand what healthcare workers actually do. They're gaining insight into their own career interests um, and really mapping out an educational pathway and career pathway to help them get there. Um, and they're connecting, very importantly, with adult role models and also peers um, who are supporting them in their goals. So this, again, is just showing we're placing students in our AHS facilities. We're mentoring them with AHS staff and giving them an array of different experiences. Now, the students who are, who are in Health Pack, do yeah. you have a sense of what their GPA is? I mean, earlier you showed yeah. all the dropout kids, and then you moved to this group, and I would surmise that this is not the group. Yeah, exactly. So I, I didn't I, understand why the dropout information was here too. I, I think we were just, we're really just trying to paint a picture of the need to provide these kinds of opportunities to young people. Um, unlike other internship programs, I'm going to just speak to our HEAL internship program, we do not look at GPA because we are not creaming. We're not trying to take the 4.0 students. We will take, you know, a 1.0 student or a 2.0 student. We're really giving opportunity to those people who have not had access to these kinds of opportunities for the most part. I, I, I yeah. appreciate that and I, and I applaud it. I, it. It would just be nice to know, are you doing that? Since you're not making any measurements, are you in fact getting the kids in, so, in here who are not achieving in school necessarily but can find a path in the medical in the medical industry right so we are we have a external evaluator SRI International who's evaluating our program they are also the evaluator for the Atlantic Atlantic philanthropies grant to Oakland Unified School District so we are going to be able to have you know a pretty good look at who are the students who went through our program how did they do academically in school did they graduate hopefully did they go on to post-secondary um, so it's a little bit early to have good data around that yet, but I hope that we will have that. And I think we really have a benefit that we have, you know, the same evaluator that's doing both evaluations. So could I ask just a question about that? Because um, how you select young people for programs like this is super critical. Um, I used to run the high potential program at St. Mary's College. We admitted students conditionally. And instead of looking at GPA and at SAT scores, we looked at factors like they work part-time to support mm -hmm. family. They're the only, um, uh, th they come from a single-parent household. Uh, they're in an urban uh, environment. I mean, we had about 16 different mm -hmm. factors that we would look at. And they would be admitted based on those factors. And I'm really proud to say that 86% of those kids graduated mm -hmm. anyway. Anyway, because we were so careful about understanding what really would tell us those children had potential, mm -hmm. regardless of what the GPA or the SAT score was. So it's super cool that we're not keeping kids yeah. with a low GPA out. However, I'd like to make sure that we're engaging children who are actually going to be able to do this work mm -hmm. because when I had to deny a young person admission it's really painful but but there were really clear indications mm -hmm. if I did that 
all I was doing was creating debt for that child, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do that. I don't want to create false expectations here or any of that. It's just so important to know the criteria. Mm -hmm. So I will answer that in two ways. One, the criteria that we are using um, is because of this is sort of mandated by the grant, which is really to serve students enrolled in Open Unified right. and to serve students who are in health academies or health pathways within OUSD. So that's a criteria. Okay. We're looking at students who are coming from underrepresented communities. We're looking for young men of color. That's probably mm -hmm. the number one preference point you get is mm -hmm. trying to get more young men of color into these programs. Um, and I'm probably forgetting one or two other, but mm -hmm. that sort of gives you a sense. Okay. And then I'm not sure I'm completely understanding um, your point, but I would say we are not about training necessarily exclusively training the doctors and nurses of the future. We want to train, as I said, sure. you know, someone yeah. who could be a food service worker right. or an EVS worker or any number of things that you may not need a post-secondary degree, you may just need a certificate or an associate's degree. Yeah. So um, we're hoping that any student going through our program would see an opportunity for themselves in healthcare and at AHS yeah. and, um, and could succeed. All I'm saying is that even for that young person who wants to be in food service or something of that sort, there's some real fundamental basics that you would want them to demonstrate, mm -hmm. right? That ability to commit to a time to be here and so on. Th uh -huh. Those are the kinds of things that I'm sure you're looking at. I, I just really want to applaud that we are doing this. This is absolutely necessary, the right thing to do. I'm so happy. and. I'm, I'm thrilled that, that we're, we're pointing um, our light in these communities that we most need to serve. Yeah. Um, so I think often people think that Health Path is a singular program, but actually Health Path is a family of programs. It's really um, the sort of initiative at AHS that is holding eight different pipeline programs. Um, that are serving a continuum of students from middle school, high school, college, graduate and professional school, and all the way through employment. And some of these programs are programs that AHS actually sort of owns and runs, as I mentioned earlier, like the Health Excellent and Academic Leadership HEAL Internship Program, or the Elon Research Fellowship. But some of those programs are run by community partners, by other nonprofit providers that are you placing students at AHS sites. Um, so the Mentoring in Medicine and Science program has their students interning here in the Highland ER, but you know it is its own independent nonprofit organization. And I do want to point out that the newest member of the Health Path family of programs is the AHS volunteer program that was just moved under Health Path at the end of last month. And I think we really see that as an opportunity for that idea. program to be more about sort of career development and career laddering. Um, and how do we make that volunteer experience a much more robust experience, especially for those sort of younger people, those sort of college, recent college graduates who are really looking um, to get a stepping stone um, into a healthcare career. Is it all of those are under the grant, the, the ten million dollars? They are not all under. I mean, it's yeah. They, the grant is paying for so the overall health path infrastructure, but it's not paying for each of those programs. So it doesn't actually pay for the Faces for the Future program. That sort of brings its own resources, but we are providing 
AS, AHS facilities where their students are interning, for instance. So, um, and we, you know, hope to continue to grow the number of programs that fall under Health Path. Um, you know, I'll just mention that um, the East Bay Innovations is an organization that is serving people with intellectual disabilities, and they're doing internships in departments where there are, you know, appropriate jobs for them to do, and health information management, where they're doing filing and dietary, and, you know, so that's, again, one of our newer programs. And the FACES program is operating at San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital, so that's allowed us to move out of Highland Hospital, which we're very pleased about. So. Our capacity to run these programs and certainly our capacity to grow these programs depends solely on the support and participation of AHS staff who give very, very generously of their time, who are hosting these interns in their departments, who are coming to our career exploration visits and participating as panelists and speakers going out into schools when we ask them to. Um, so really, you know, the AHS employees are so critical to our ability to do this work um, and we are so grateful for how invested they've been in the program. So I'm going to kind of run through these super quickly but we wanted just to give you a flavor of some of the students that were in the program. This is Osiris. He's a 16 year old. He's a, a junior at um, Oakland School for the Arts and he's interested in being a surgeon because he had to go through numerous um, eye surgeries as um, a young child and got, made him very interested in healthcare. And I want to just note um, uh, that he talks about this really driving him to be better in school. But through another partnership we had with UCSF, we took some graduates of our HEAL program that UCF, UCSF trained to be what are called standardized patients in their simulation lab. Mm -hmm. So they needed adolescent mock patients mm -hmm. so that their nurses could train in you know, the simulation lab. So they trained 10 HEAL graduates who now make $20 an hour when they go over to UCSF to be a standardized patient. So it's very flexible, you know, it's very, you know, it's periodic employment, but just an example of how, even in the short term, um, these programs are leading to employment. Jeff, can yeah. I have a I've been dying to ask this question. Yeah. I'm going to do it now. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, I, 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 read, I looked over the whole PowerPoint mm -hmm. a few days ago. I love it. I read the case studies. What I don't know, what I'm curious about is what's a day in the life or a week in the life of one of the youth involved in the program? Like how many hours are they here on average mm -hmm. or, or a few examples? And are they paid? Mm -hmm. and I imagine it depends on the program and yeah. how much because I know that from my work with the public health department, when we would work in these communities, you know, we would stipend kids to come to meetings, which mm -hmm. was about all we could do. But they're like, look, I need a job. <laughs> and, right. and, like, and it was so hard for that 18 to 24 category where they were marginally graduated from high school and they couldn't find good employment. And anyway, I'm curious about that. Sure. Um, so we have a variety of different cohorts throughout the school year and the summer, and the length um, <coughs> differs. We have a cohort that goes through the entire year. We have semester-long cohorts, and then we have shorter 10-week cohorts, and then we have a summer cohort, because we really want to give a variety of opportunities to reach as many students as we can. Um, there really at the core of their experience is the internship experience where they're rotating through different hospital departments. But we also have a classroom component where we are 
teaching them or you know a set of skills around professionalism teamwork and collaboration you know social determinants of health personal health so we're really sort of supplementing that rotation experience with what these other learning outcomes that we think are soft really skills. critical soft skills exactly um, to be successful um, the stipends differ we are right now we're in the middle of our summer internship which, which is an intensive five-week full-time program and students get an $800 stipend um, they also get 10 credit 10 units of high school credit because we're partnering with OUSD and they spend two hours a week in a seminar with their at their home school so that they can get the high school credit so it's really nice marriage of you know both the stipend during the school year the stipends um, tend to be a little bit smaller they're more like four hundred dollars because they're here for less time and do you have a problem uh, with students that have um unstable documentation we do not ask for social security number if a student is enrolled in our program and doesn't have a social security number and we want to give them a stipend we give them a visa gift card I literally go to Safeway and I buy a visa gift card and we hand it to them and then the foundation which holds the Atlantic grant reimburses me Thanks. so we are able to support those students very awesome great yeah all right, so let me power on through. Um, I'm going to sort of skip these, but you know, there's just wonderful, I think, illustrations of um, the students. We did read them. Yeah, yeah, right. they're beautiful. I like the uh, yeah. But I, I do want to just show. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like we've come such a long way in a short period of time. My two-year anniversary is is next week, mm -hmm. and when I sort of, you know, inherited um, the HEAL internship program, so last school year we had 81 students complete the program. This school year we had 183 students mm. complete the program, um, and you know, I think we're on track to grow it even more. And if anyone is interested, our evaluators. Um, have sort of pulled together some demographic data and completion data, sort of 2015 over 2016-17, and I'm happy to share that data. Well, I, I was curious, your jump, I mean, you're more than doubling, yeah. your, and that seemed pretty ambitious. So what was the plan, and how, how are you intending to do that? I mean, that seems pretty... It. They did it. They did it. They did. Yeah. They did that here. They, they have a, a 400 for 2018. So right now oh, yeah, there's yeah. two. There's, so so I was concerned about yeah. that huge jump. So it's it's not even double. Right. So it's, let me clarify that, and I realize that this can be a little bit confusing. So this is the data just for the HEAL program. That 400 is looking across those sort of eight programs Got that it. are under okay. Health Path. And I know Thank we have you. to do a sort of better job of sort of being able to compare students, and we haven't yet been able to sort of collect that data on all the other programs to give you that number 2015 to okay. uh, 2016 but that's where you get that sort of discrepancy um, so yes we're on a path to growth you know you can see that we really want to increase our numbers we want to increase the mentors and AHS staff we're working with um, we want to move to additional sites we're really hoping if we can get some additional grant funding we could start a program at Eastmont Wellness Center mm -hmm. right now we're at Highland small program at San Leandro Hospital, a small program at Alameda Hospital, um, and we really want to diversify our funding. And um, finally, um, you know, this presentation is a really presentation presentation that we 
put together that we hope to share with funders, and we really want to make the case to funders about the benefits of investing, um, excuse me, of investing in the health path program and the impact we have um, in terms of enhancing opportunity or generational impact and improving health. So I will leave it there. Thank you. Um, so you, would, I know that you have, um, in the past year, you've, you've been in Alameda Unified School District and you're in Oakland Unified, you mentioned, are you, how do you, are you in all the high schools or just, um, and you also have relationships with the charter schools with OSA and mm -hmm. other schools. So how? How does that work? Do they come to you, or do you go and say we need to expand? Or? Well, we are trying to do so in Oakland. We're focusing our outreach, really targeting it, targeting our outreach on those high schools that have health academies. But we haven't yet been able to fill all of our seats with those students, um, which you know. OUSD needs to do a better job of helping those students get to us because there are over 1,800 students enrolled in health academies. So, um, so then we go, then we sort of open it up to other schools, and often it's word of mouth. Um, and in the data here, we have a list of all the different schools that we've drawn from. In Alameda, where the where we have the Faces program, um, they were able to sort of start the program with Alameda High and they want to expand it to Ensenal but haven't been able to do that yet. But that is the intention. And my other comment is, politics, um, I, believe. I, I did hear, I, I heard retrospectively about the graduation in Alameda and my suggestion would be that you let the board know or um, let Vicki know when you're having any kind of event or graduation because I, I certainly would like to attend. Okay, great. And I will let you know that our our um, current summer internship, they're graduating on the, I believe it's July 28th, which is a full board meeting. And of course, our graduation is exactly the same time as the board meeting. We're going to be in the cafeteria. I invite you all to come, but I'm hoping, like, if you were here last year, Devecki invited all the students to come in, and you just yeah. got a chance to sort of see them and clap them up. So I hope we'll have that opportunity again in a couple weeks when they graduate. Great. What would it take to get a program at Eastmont Wellness Center? I mean, I know the demographics. I know the disparities. I mean, talk about the, I mean, that's the AHS facility probably most located in right. the where the social determinants of health will tell you that if that zip code's got a lot of issues and the surrounding ones. And I know that these young people have a real hard time transporting themselves across neighborhoods because yeah. it's, 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 it's a foreign country for a lot of them. Or there's, there's dangers, yeah. perceived and real. And so Eastmont would be a fantastic place to have a program to really get at that population that needs it. Um, in Oakland, anyway, yeah. and for Hayward, I think of South Tennyson. So, do you have something at the, at the Southland at, at that site yet? Um, not it seems like not those two yet, sites but would be. We would love to expand. We have been in conversation with the California Endowment for a year now, um, <laughs> or at least a year now, trying to see if they would be interested in funding it's an expansion program. to Eastmont, which would really be a coordinator to be there, to be on site. Except for the East Oakland Building Healthy Community? No, because they're not really focused on these sort of workforce oh. pipeline <laughs> issues, interestingly. Um, but so I don't think we could get it through that pot of money. What about the Cal California Healthcare Foundation with Sandra Hernandez? Yeah. She's not related to me, but. Yeah, well, actually, I looked, 
at the San Francisco Foundation for seven years, so she's my old boss. Um, They also do very little in terms of this pipeline work. Um, Wellness, California Wellness Foundation is one that we're interested. I think we thought because of the building healthy communities that it would be in the endowment sweet spot, so it's been a little baffling why it's been kind of so hard, um, but we're working on it. So, you know, we probably don't need that much funding to get up and going there, but we what, need at least probably enough to What's the your meetings with the administration at Oakland? At OUSD. The ones who were involved in the health care. So we have a, a partnership, so a part of the OUSD Atlantic grant is also Alameda County Healthcare Services Agency. So OUSD Healthcare Services Agency and AHS actually meet bi-weekly, so we are meeting very regularly to figure out how we sort of align our systems and really can create these sort of seamless pathways. We have leadership from across those systems meet quarterly, and we just had one of those meetings on Monday. Um, but to be perfectly honest, we've had a really hard time getting our OUSD leadership to show up, but they're going through a really hard time right now. I've been now. meeting with a couple of them on this very issue, and so um, I'd be happy to talk with you about some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Tracy, but there are a couple of things I just want to cap. Um, so first, we're very glad that Jessica's here. Uh, she's done a fantastic job. She has a great team. Um, we see this as a start. One of the key things from my own perspective and talking with Del Vecchio is that I would rather we don't create opportunities for people to get a job but ensure that they do get a job. I think there's a big difference between putting someone through an internship. Uh, Jessica's, uh, Jessica's been working with Lisa Marie, um, who runs our talent uh, management division, and also uh, with our labor relations people to work with the UNC, are they willing to let us reserve positions? Um, and say, willing to let us reserve positions. So union jobs are clearly seniority based, and what we want to talk to them about are sitter roles and other roles that are entry level, not because that's where we see these people ending up, but it's potentially a way for them to fund educate, further education and an entry point. I would rather that we were sure that they got into something. Whether it's here or another healthcare provider, I really don't care. Uh, you know, we service all of this community. If we could hire them all, we would. We're not going to be able to. I would rather that we train them and they get a job somewhere than nowhere. If it's here, that's better. So much the better for us. So we're trying to work with the unions right now and have discussions about two real elements. One is, are they willing to let us reserve positions that aren't subject to seniority for this particular group? And secondarily, uh, having completed one of these internships, can that account for qualifications other than that would be covered by other minimum qualifications? Now, we can have that, but it really is a me and confer process. For us, that's a drive to ensure that we don't just put people through this, but we actually employ them. Over the very prolonged period of time, that really helps us diversify the, our employees. And this is really, you know, the school-age kids are really the demographic of Oakland now as opposed to our current employee population. The demographic has shifted, but a lot of our employees, once they, to an earlier question from Barry, once we get past year five, our employees don't really move. So the demographics of the surrounding area have shifted, but our employee base really hasn't for a long time. And this really is representative of the current demographics in the area and will help us shift our overall demographic over a prolonged period of time. It's not the only solution, but it's a very important one. It's an important one for the community and and the kids who specifically were able to help. Um, 
the the other is sustainability to the point about the grand that Jessica was talking about we're looking at now how do we bake health path into our operational plan as opposed to the funding goes away and we're done that that's not really acceptable to us how we're going to do it, it's not clear yet but we need to bake it into our operation so again we have clear paths into healthcare careers for the community and then into into work with AHS if at all possible. And that's work we're doing in the background, separate and distinct from the very good work that's already being done. And indoor EBITDA. Yeah. Ignore, no, you can ignore me without I don't really have that luxury. Um, that's a different committee, okay. And, that's not this committee. Uh, Terry Dixon is our manager for employee health. And so we asked her to do a presentation. It's, it's the one area that I think even over the life of the Hedgehog Committee, we never really introduced to the committee. So Terry does outstanding work in terms of keeping our employees healthy and on the job, in terms of screening them when they come in. So we wanted to, to give you sort of a flavor of the work that that part of the organization does. Thanks, Terry. Thank you. First of all, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about employee health services. It's often one of those services that are kind of hidden and not um, well known as far as all the services that we provide, the customers that we serve, and some of the organizations, or not organizations, but governing bodies that we have to answer to, like Joint Commission. So with that said, based on time, I'll go ahead and move through the slides. So employee health services, we deliver a broad spectrum of services to not just our AHS employees, but to external clientele as well. So I'll go over that list. We do medical surveillance, risk assessment, clinical services, and it's, again, to overall, to improve the overall health of our AHS community versus employee or non-employee. Our customers, we have AHS employees, we have volunteers, contractors, medical students, residents, interns, our medical staff, those that are employed and those that are contracted. We also um, provide service to Alameda County employees, and I put others there because, as I learned, every day, sometimes every week, there's additional people that we end up servicing as well. As far as the um, reason why we do our program, and most hospitals do have employee health services or occupational health services, it's mainly because of the governing bodies that require the hospitals to have certain things in place. So we have the county, we have OSHA, we have Cal OSHA, we have Joint Commission, which is due to come here this year. Um, to Highland, we have CDPH, and we have the CDC. So everything that we do is based on one of those organizations saying you have to do something annually or some specific screening or if there's an Ebola issue or some other um, communicable disease issue that's um, causing an issue, we jump in with infection control. So employee health services, the scope of services, we provide employee health screening. We do employee health clearances. We do the vaccination program. We do tuberculosis surveillance, that's annual screening, and then any other exposures. We do the respiratory protection program. I put fit testing because that's an annual requirement per Cal OSHA that we have to um, fit test our employees, and that's to make sure that they're not exposed to any aerosolized transmissible disease such as TB, for example. SARS is another one, um, or even something as simple as varicella, which is chickenpox. So that's another annual program that we have to do. We do the annual influenza immunization program. That is mandated by the county that we have to have 100% participation. Either people choose to get vaccinated or they have to wear a mask during flu season. We've got another flu season coming up. This past year, we um, did extremely well. I think we had over 90% vaccinated, close to 90% vaccinated, which is, which is excellent. Probably about, wait, 
You mean we allow for someone working here not to be vaccinated? There are some reasons why some people can't medically take the vaccine. So the way the county has set it up is that during flu season, they have to wear a light surgical mask during that time. So there's still a provision that's in place so that they can't take the vaccine. Same thing with volunteers. This is anyone who's a health care worker that's within our hospital that's around patient care, yes. Did these guys get? Oh, that's true. I I mean, I did, but nobody ever asked me. Well, well, you aren't around patients, but... um, no, I was, when I got, I could not join the board until, and and you guys did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gave me, I had to do the bloodborne pathogens, I had to get all the shots, I had to go through the right? health department, I had to do everything. Yeah. They gave me a prostate exam. No, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that, that's not with our school of practice. That's the wrong job. Wrong office. I don't remember that one. But I didn't have to do it for this, but I do have them. So is that okay? Yeah, I don't know. I just I just raised that as an issue. That, in part because we were touring and going into hospital rooms right. and mm-hmm. about uh, up and about, and mm-hmm. I was surprised that that I was the only one that, and I think it's just the time that I came in, and we had transfers of administrators coming in and out, and so I got caught, and no one else did. So I don't think it was. I've done all that stuff. But I work yeah, you work. but you work here. So the, yeah. uh, Marie, there's some case law that restricts our ability to force oh, someone really? to take a flu shot, and so they can wear a mask and they can decline that to receive it. The, 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 the county, correct me if I'm wrong, Terry, no, requires that they either take it or they formally decline it through a questionnaire. Okay. If they decline, they wear a mask. We're not in a position that we can force people to take a vaccination right now, even in a healthcare profession. But, but what about like meningitis, the other other vaccines that are not? The, the main vaccines that you're required to take for a healthcare is measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, okay. B, depending on whether or not you have any dealings with um, blood or body fluids. And then the other one is flu. Like I said, you either take it or you can decline it. Um, those are the main ones, and then your TB screening. Okay. So the main ones is measles, mumps, rubella, and, and we do require and chickenpox yeah. is required. It's not something way. that you can okay. um, waive or decline. And Thank if everybody you. remembers the measles yeah. exposure from yeah. Disneyland, it really set things so into um, a tizzy, and we ended up, you know, the county was asking a lot of hospitals to look at and making sure everybody was vaccinated with the measles, yeah. et cetera. So that's our immunization program. Um, our annual influenza, I just spoke about that. We have bloodborne pathogen exposure plan that we have to follow. So anybody who has a needle stick or a splash with blood or body fluids, we actually have to follow that. That usually involves a series of tests where someone gets tested six months three to four months, and then, I mean, six weeks, three to four months, six months, and then a year later. So we have to follow all of those, and those are all OSHA reportable. The other one that we do is communicable disease exposures. It's mainly TB um, that we have to follow up. So if there's a TB exposure, a patient comes in and is identified with active TB, all employees, non-employees that came in contact with that patient, we're responsible to make sure that they get baseline TB testing, and then there's follow-up TB testing that's done within eight to ten weeks post-exposure. So we follow up on all of those cases throughout the system as well. We provide first aid treatment. Oftentimes an employee will come to us with something minor and we will uh, also work with our workers comp um, manager when injuries present themselves in our office to make sure that they're um, processed accordingly. How many are in your department that do all this? (laughs) 
There are currently. Smiling because it's not enough. <laughs> I'm down a few nurses. So right now we have an employee health office that's based at Highland. I staff it with three. And then in Fair at Fairmont campus, there's myself and two nurses. We're down two more. So we oversee the whole organization. So all of that is done by about five nurses. Wow. So you do San Leandro and Alameda? We cover as well? San Leandro and Alameda and Highland and all the clinics. Wow. And you have a clone formula that you want to share with us so that we can all be cloned to be able to do all of this work? Oh no, I just want to tell you to know we need more staff. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just doing this and we're able to do it uh, well. So it's, our employee health program doesn't include any um, mental health? We have an EAP program. Yeah. I don't so manage that, yeah. yes. but we do have an EAP program for the organization. Is that under your? No, it's not. Now, is it's any of these is, is any of this covered by by any kind of um, benefits or insurance process? This is all provided. Yes. This is provided internally always to employees. If they go through, if an injury, and again, Terry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Once an injury, uh, blood bone pathogen, and exposure. Once they enter into a program after these guys have identified, then it's covered by workers' comp. And so workers' comp starts to pick it up there and it's covered by that insurance. If it's a physician, for example, who works for OCAT, at that point, their workers' company can pick it up. If it's our employee, an AHS employee, we pick it up there. But prior to that, it's just, for us, it's a cost of doing business that this function needs to exist. And everything that we do, is it in fact required by OSHA and those departments Correct. that you that you mentioned. Correct. So it's not a part of a, con a negotiable contract issue. No. no. It's all. No. What what I would tell you is the unions, uh, the SEIU tend to one in the core unit are taking a position that uh, if they don't get TB or flu, that we should take them off the schedule without paying them. And I've been clear we'll litigate the issue if we have to. You know, they're no longer they're no longer qualified to do the work. Yes. Wait, say that again. They're taking a position, and for those in public employment will understand this, you can't deprive someone of pay without a skelly hearing. Okay? And so they're making an argument that we need to do a skelly to basically stop the person coming to work. And I, I was very clear with them. We'll litigate it if we have to. You're yeah. not coming to work, and we're not paying you for the work if you're not qualified for the work. So if your license expires, your certification expires, or you don't get flu or TB in the required time, you're not coming to work, and we will not pay you. Good for you. So and we, and we do take them off the schedule. Here. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's free. It's, it's, it's exactly not, right. They're just taking it. It's, yeah. a, it's a posturing position, and I've been very clear what our position is right now. And the good news is that we're at 100% compliancy, where we weren't in years past, right. where we've had TB fall off a little bit here and there. Um, we have now made it so that individuals are very uncomfortable and know that they will be taken off the schedule. I do a lot of reports. I send a lot of information to the managers, letting them know who their employees are so they can assist me in targeting them to get it done. They're given a month's time to get mm -hmm. TB done. They're notified well in advance, so it's not short notice where they can't get it. And we try to make sure that we're available at all site locations to provide that That's testing great. as well. So you That's would like have an afternoon at Alameda Hospital or something to place the PPDs and mm -hmm. stuff and mm -hmm. that's how you do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we generally schedule clinics. Um, my goal, once I get a couple more nurses, is to have someone more permanent at Alameda. They're really looking to have our mm -hmm. presence there more. Um, they have a place for us. But right now we're there um, maybe four to six times a month, two to four hours at a time. 
How do you get the PPDs read at the... We, we come back and we read them. Do you, do you ever... Uh, I just know for travel, I've had to get some pretty odd things. Uh, I was going to go to Saudi Arabia, and that was weird. They wanted all kinds of... Um, Vaccine. Do you charge for this? We don't do travel vaccines, so that's oh, not part of our program, like things for yellow fever, and oh, yeah. if you're going to that's certain parts of the country, that's not oh, part God. of your employment. Damn. Well, how do you... Big profit center. I but would tell you, you would make you <laughs> because it was so expensive it to is. do. To that, to that point, though, what about um, employees who travel to um, somewhere, say, where the Zika virus is prevalent, do, we, do you... Survey them, or do you? We work with infection control. So during the big whole Zika exposure or issues that we were having, it was mainly led by infection control. It was more so patient-based. Um, if we had employees with any issues, okay. even when it came to Ebola right. or SARS or that, we don't like have that any partner. No. that people, that employees disclose or no, no, not by policy. No. Well, we follow any kind of public health. Correct. Right. Whatever mandate that they put in place based on whatever the communicable right. disease exposure is at the time. So other than first aid, we also do OSHA compliance. So we're uh, mandated to report all of our needle sticks on our OSHA log. So we follow that. And if anybody converts, say they become positive for TB or they end up with HIV, which we have not had any from a bloodborne pathogen exposure, there are certain things that we are required to report to OSHA. So employee health, one of the things I want to point out here is that so far year to date, we have seen about 6,600 employees. Last year, we did about 6,000. Um, total last year, I didn't put that on there, I think we saw about 17,000 um, people total for the year. Um, this is just a 9% increase in the number of appointments since January through May. So we're oh, when Tony a stops the spot. turnover, then you could. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Mr. Bull, give me enough authority to pay everyone what they're asking for. <laughs> so that just kind of gives you an idea of what kind of volume we're talking about, that employee health that we see and what we work with. When we talk about employees versus non-employees and the type of um, customers, 80%, of course, of our employee base, and then 20% are um, non-employees that we serve. Are those new people is that they haven't been hired yet? I was wondering about that, that stat. Say who, that again. Who are these 20%? Those are our non-employees. Oh, so like the physicians, volunteer. the contracted physicians, oh, the volunteers. Right. Yeah. They work here, but they don't work here. So right. we, we have a count, we have a contract with the county that, that's, I would say, not advantageous to us. It's a, it's a long-standing contract that we're reviewing. Because from a cost perspective, it's it's not a profit it's not a profit maker for us. We do pre pre health screenings with, with mm -hmm. some of the county, and it's a drain on resources. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to make a determination whether we want to continue it and what that does to the relationship. I don't think it's such a big thing that it would damage the relationship with the county, but we need to address it because it really does drain oh, our resources. Yeah. yeah, we charge them, but it doesn't it. it it at best meets cost, but right, no more yeah. than that. So it's a service we provide that when we could be applying our resources to employees and taking some right. stresses off the system yeah. elsewhere. So we're assessing that right now. And they're part of that 20%. They're part of that 20%, correct. Mm -hmm. And then speaking of um, non-employees, so 74% of our health clearances are for non-AHS employees. 26% of what we do are for AHS employees for new hire clearances. So mainly our purpose for our non-employees is to do the health screening to make sure that they're working in our environment, they're, they're disease-free, that they're meeting all the requirements for immunizations, flu, TB, 
um, et cetera. So that's mainly what we do for our non-AHS employees. And then this one, when we look at just our AHS employees, just kind of goes to show what we do a lot of in that 17,000 individuals. 92% of our employees are seen for compliancy purposes. We're doing a lot of TB testing, annual screenings, um, fit testing, et cetera. 8% of what we do is for new hire clearances. Um, majority of that is done at our Fair, Fairmont campus. Um, the other part is, is done at Highland. So that's kind of how those, those numbers kind of look. So we're really busy doing a lot of great things. Um, one of the things we did change this year um, was how we do our physical exams. When I first got here, one of the things that the nurses were doing was, I'm gonna call it a physical assessment because within our scope of practice, we don't do exams. We do an assessment, but we can't do an exam. So I was looking at a way in which to make sure that our employees, our new hires were actually being screened by the appropriate um, clinician and not necessarily a nurse doing an assessment. One of the other issues we were noticing is that, and I'm sure you, from a doctor's perspective, know our, our population isn't getting necessarily healthier. So we saw a lot of uh, new hires with high blood pressure issues, um, things that we want to make sure that another level of clinician was looking at them to make sure that we were hiring people, not necessarily in the best of condition, but that they were taking care of themselves. So a lot of times what came out of that is that they would go see their primary care physician or we would um, connect them with one of our wellness clinics to make sure that they're being taken care of. So again, it's pushing that health and to make sure that we have healthy employees that don't come on board, stroke out, and become workers' comp. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. The other part is that it's important to make sure that you work with um, physicians that specialize with pre-employment physicals in the ADA. You cannot basically say someone failed anything. It's either with an accommodation or without an accommodation. Mm -hmm. So if there's parts of that physical exam that they did not pass, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say they didn't pass it. They would say they would need an accommodation. And that's when we work with our other department that does workers' comp and look at how we can accommodate whatever that disability is. It might can be a sit-stand. Might be a sit-stand. Might be somebody who had a back injury and they have a note that says, you know, I only can sit for four hours out of a given day. So you look at that job to see how you can modify it to meet the needs of that disability because under the ADA you're required to look at that even for pre-employment, not just when they're an employee. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, we send a job offer and have a discrimination lawsuit behind it because you didn't look at something so simple as you know making a basic accommodation. It could be a keyboard, special chair, yeah. um, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that um, is definitely a big issue with the physical exams is that we have skilled nursing facilities that are here. There's, I think, three of them total in a subacute. They are required per Title 22 to have a physical exam done, not an assessment, but an exam. They not only do it upon hire, they have to do it annually. So every year they have to do a physical exam and it has to be done by a physician. And so currently we have medical groups that are covering that for our employees. That was the and last thing. Why that group? That's interesting. You know, I, I don't understand the, the significance behind it. Um, I do know and I would have to do some research as far as why they targeted skilled nursing facilities. Um, I do know that their level of care is, you know, it's pretty intense as far as the type of population base that they serve, 
but the other piece is to make sure that they're free of communicable diseases because this population that they, they serve is there and yeah. invulnerable right. and they don't leave, they're not discharged and gone, going right. home. Right. Sometimes it's the last place for many of them so it's important to make sure that your staff is healthy. Um, the other thing is that I've noticed that sometimes these employees are long-term employees and this is another way to just make sure that they're also taking care of their health and they're not putting themselves at risk for injury um, because they've worked well beyond their years. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Mm -hmm. That's it. Very Any questions? Amazing. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I have a good team <laughs> that gets it done. It's a lot of work. Well, it's nice meeting you. Yeah. Nice meeting you guys as well. Thank you. Do you have a question, Mary? No. Thank you, Terry and Jessica and everyone and our new... Um, we, we didn't get introductions, though. Haven't we? Yes, I think we met at the prayer meeting, and I'm David Abella. You're, the, you're David, you're doing the um, negotiations, right? Um, yes, I'm on one of the right. teams. Right. One of the teams. Easy yeah. it. So I just forgot. You're getting the easy one. Okay, Pleasure. thank you. That's, we're only Thanks. 40 minutes late. Is everybody ready? Is <laughs> that right? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Thanks. 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 Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, you think Michelle is there, that's I know. Oh, Michelle, I will be in the I apologize. I'll tell you.